glad to have you to join us. And we're looking forward for a good service. It's Wednesday night, but we can still worship God and let the Lord speak to our hearts. Uh, join us as we worship the Lord in song tonight. Falling to my hand from 
the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Father, we commit our service tonight into your hands. It's the prayer of our hearts that we should not fail you in any way. We ask, Lord, that you'll be with our hearts tonight and everyone following this message. Those present in church, Lord, we pray you'll be with them. Bless their hearts, we pray. Bless our service tonight. Pray for the weekend that you'll be with us. We commit our future into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Well, we're glad to be looking at the Word of God again tonight. I was remembering speaking to someone this week. I might have been Brother Richard. Uh, I had mentioned in one of the messages that this pandemic, whenever God judges the world, or he judges a nation, if God's people are in that nation, it is wrath to the ungodly, and it is chastening to the godly. And it is important that God's children, during a crisis, a national crisis, examine their life. It's a time for self-examination. It's a time for us to check and reevaluate our commitment. And I do not believe that a judgment like this would make the nation turn to God. An ungodly nation may continue, uh, still continue in their ungodly ways. An ungodly nation will still continue in its ungodly ways. But what concerns me is that when the pandemic is over, will God's people improve in their lives? Or will God's people getting accustomed to sitting at home? And this is especially for you if you're not really converted, if you're just hanging on to the church uh, for some ulterior motive, and you're not really receiving a deep con conviction or con conversion, uh, when you sit home for such a long time, a month, two months, three months, four months, you'll get complacent. And if your desire is not for God, you might want to stay home and just pass the time. And that is quite normal. It happens with every case of discipleship. So when this is over, I'm expecting some children of God to be better in their dedication and I'm expecting some to backslide and leave the church. And I'm expecting some to get into the mode of complaining and criticizing those that are weak in their midst. It is that time when the church really should get on its knees and seek after God. Uh, we have uh, preached so many lessons. And that is why a personal revelation is important. In Matthew's Gospel, and we'll probably be in Matthew tonight a little bit, but here in Matthew on a Wednesday night, we want to look at a few scriptures here. In chapter 16 of Matthew, very popular area of the Word of God, Jesus made a statement uh, early in that chapter, and he said, um, uh, he said, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees, verse 1, tempting him, that he should show them a sign from heaven. Now this was also the same situation they had in chapter 12 of Matthew, 
when they asked the same question. If you hold your finger in Matthew chapter 16 for a little, and let's back up to Matthew chapter 12. I told you we'll be in and out of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 12, the religious element in this time, they actually uh, condemned Jesus. And when the Pharisee heard it in verse 24, Matthew chapter, and when the Pharisee heard it, they said, this fellow, they called Jesus a fellow. They said, this fellow, uh, doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Uh, the most difficult people to penetrate and to touch the hearts are the people of God when they're so loaded with information. And that is the problem that we're living in our day. We're living in the day of information, an information age. And one has to be so careful what's truth, what's propaganda, what's uh, conspiracy theory. Uh, because you'll pick up the internet and somebody is saying something that sounds real and it's just a conspiracy theory. And that is why if I am to repost anything that someone posts, I'll say, if this is correct, uh, this is my opinion, if this is correct. And it is sad when the conspiracy theories become old wives' fables and enters into the church. And so it is important that we understand this because we have an element out here that is against God. And I'm not talking about the ungodly element. I'm talking about religious elements that uh, feel that they don't need more of God. And that's the problem with the world. And so here in Matthew chapter 12, the Pharisees were wanting, uh, they were accusing Jesus that he was casting out devils through Beelzebub and then in verse 38 then certain of the scribes uh, and of the Pharisees answered saying master we would see a sign how I got on this I got on this because the scribes were the ones that copied things down and they were blind as bats the scribes the guys who would sit down and copy statements and transcribe anything. You want Isaiah transcribed over. You want a copy of the book of the scroll of Isaiah. Go to scribe. And it is said historically. That when they transcribe from one scroll to a parchment. They have the ability to change things that they didn't agree with. And so when I'm looking at my Bible. I need more than what's written in front of me here. I'm glad for what's written in front of me. But I need the Holy Ghost. I need the Lord that inspired men to write and inspired men to prophesy. Is he old? Is he getting old? Is he outdated? Uh, it, does he make mistakes? The scribes can make mistakes. The scribes can make blunder, but God doesn't. And so the, the spirit that inspired men to write I need that spirit in my life to inspire me to decipher or interpret what's written. And so in today's world, I need the Holy Ghost in my life more than ever than before. I need not to just polyparrot what's written, but I need the Holy Ghost to touch my mind that I might be able to decipher what's written. And then... If I claim to be a preacher, that's another problem by itself. Because if I claim that God is speaking through me, 
What am I saying? Is it what God wants the people to hear at that particular time? Uh, if not, then am I promoting my own ideas? See, James warned about that. He says, be not many teachers. For if you're a teacher, you will have the greater condemnation. I'm sitting here teaching a congregation here tonight. We're not a lot here tonight. And here I am, and you have confidence in what I'm doing. Brother Sinbad came to me tonight. He says, Brother Singh, I want you to know that my life is greatly changed through these messages. Now, oh, Brother Sinbad, you're not a preacher. You're not an elder. You know what? I prefer that than have a big sermon preached by somebody that's eloquent. Because my job is to see lives change. He tells me their prayer life is changed. He tells me their dedication is changed. So when all of this is over, somebody would love God a little more and some would love him a little less. That is why when God shakes, he shakes the heavens and he will shake the earth. And when he shakes the tree, the leaves that are withered will fall off. It has happened over and over and over again. And so the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus and said, we would see a sign from thee. We want to see a sign. And Jesus said, there is no sign. He says, an evil and adulterous generation. Not only evil generation, but an adulterous generation. Why was he calling the Pharisees an adulterous generation? Why was he saying evil and adulterous? Were they going out fornicating? I don't think so. I think they were uh, trying to be the best. Paul was a Pharisee. He said he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He says of the straightest of sect of the Jewish religion, he was a Pharisee. They were, they prayed long prayers. They were, they fasted, they prayed, they, they knew the law, the Torah. But I feel their mixture of doctrine and concepts of was man-made. A lot of what they came up with was what man wanted to do. It was the tradition of men, Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, about the 15th chapter. In the 15th chapter, there's people that wanted a sign. Before I get into chapter 15 and move around in this gospel of Matthew, before I get into chapter 15, Jesus said, this adulterous generation seek it for a sign, but there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. Now, I conclude, and I'm saying this tonight, there are a lot of things that I came up, I, that I feel is my conclusion. I feel this is what the Lord has placed in my heart. It might be my interpretation, my contradict years of tradition, but I have the right to make a decision based on what I con I'm convinced God has placed in my heart. And so when I'm looking at uh, the sign of Jonah's the prophets, I don't believe Jonah was alive in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. I believe the man was dead. And out of the Sheol, out of the grave, he cried out. And the waves and the sea come past him about even to his soul. That's what Jonah said. And when he was vomited out on the, on the shores of Nineveh, coming out of the belly of a fish, a whale, he came to life. And that is why Jesus saying the sign of Jonas the prophet. 
He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. As Jonah was in the whale, so shall the Son of Man be. And so what did Jesus do after three days? He resurrected. And so the resurrection is an important sign to God's people. Did Israel believe because he resurrected? No, they did not believe. They denied even his resurrection. Uh, the men of Nineveh, verse 41, he says, shall rise in judgment with this generation. Now, Noah, uh, Jonah went and preached to the men of Nineveh. And he started a dozen churches. Is that what the Bible says? He started body assemblies. Is that what the Bible says? No. He preached, they repented, they turned to God, and he, he went his way. But the fact is that they recognized their need for God and they abhorred their sins <clears throat> was enough to give them a resurrection. And so the Lord said, the men of Nineveh that didn't go to college, that didn't study in the institutes of the religious institutions of that time, they will rise with this generation and condemn it. Can you imagine a resurrection where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes all come up and they feel they're coming up in the first resurrection and it's really the final? And when they're coming up, uh, they see the men in Nineveh and they say, Oh, we didn't know you all had church and you got matured and you got perfected and you became overcomers. How come you're in the first resurrection? And then the men in Nineveh says, Well, we thought you were smart, but you're not as smart as you claim you are. You're as dumb as ever because this is not the first resurrection. This is the final resurrection. And we're glad that the general harvest, which the final resurrection reaps the general harvest. Listen to me, Christians. The final resurrection reaps the general harvest. If you miss the bride and you miss the second phase of the first resurrection and you come up in the final resurrection as a child of God, that did not make it in the first, you're not lost. You can come up in the final resurrection, which is called the general harvest, and you can enter into the kingdom of God. You could be saved. And that is why when I read this scripture, it gives me a different perspective to pick people out there that are sincerely serving God, and some are even dying as martyrs, to condemn them all. I've got to be really egotistic in my religion to point my finger at everybody out there that are sincerely serving God, not exposed to the truth that you and I have, and condemn them. They're good men out there that God never saw it necessary to bring into our fellowship. But they're good people. I met a lot of good people. They're good voices out there. Don't condemn them. Don't point your finger and condemn everybody because they're not a part of Gospel Assembly Church. There are people that know how to pray. I wish we did. There are people that would pack this church out tonight if this was their church. Not like us. We know so much that we think God has to listen to us and we serve Him at our convenience. That can't happen. God never is motivated that you serve him at your convenience. He wants sacrifice made. Don't put obstacles. And so when we're thinking about it, 
We're thinking about this, these people in Noah, Jonah's days. And the man of Nineveh shall rise in the, in, with this generation, the religious element, and condemn them. And he says, a greater than Jonah is here. I am greater than Jonah. Jesus said he was greater than Jonah. And he is here and they're rejecting him. And then he went on to say, and while I'm preaching this message, I'm not preaching to the people in Jesus' days. I'm not preaching to the people in Jonah's days. I'm talking to you and I, members of the body of Christ, members of Gospel Assembly Church, the holiest people in town. See, I'm talking to us because when Jesus condemned the religious element, are we infallible or can we fall into the same condemnation? Well, you think about it. Because we could very well be condemned just like Jesus condemned. You see, Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Jesus was condemning the Pharisees. Paul says, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. He says concerning zeal persecuting the church. Some people in our time don't even have zeal. He says concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. See that's Paul. And Jesus says the men of Nineveh will rise with the Pharisees in the resurrection and condemn it. The sign of Jonas the prophet was the resurrection of the dead. And then Jesus went on further on and he said here, he says, the queen of the south, queen of Sheba, the one that saw all of Solomon's wisdom. You remember when she went into Solomon's court? Uh, the queen of the south shall rise <clears throat> with this generation. She shall also rise with this generation and she will turn back and says, you hypocrites. You people, you're hypocrites. Why did you crucify Jesus? Because she repented of the preaching of Solomon. Uh, she, it says here, and Jesus said, uh, she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. He says, and I'm greater than Solomon. And so when you understand this, you understand the importance of of, of having a revelation as to where God is working. Don't hold on to a title and a name and a church name and a church organization. What about your life? What about your dedication? And when this, when this pandemic is over, the church will lose a lot of people that were fickle, that did not have faith in God. Our faith is being tried. We in the church, our faith is being tried. This is the time to pray and draw closer to God. Thank you, Brother Sinbad, for telling me that. This is time to pray and fast. This is the time to call on God and repent because it's not over, my friend. It's the start of many days of hassle and trouble. And so, over here in Matthew, the 16th chapter, uh, when the Pharisees, uh, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he told his disciples in verse 6, he says, Take heed and beware 
of the teachings of the Pharisee. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. He says doctrines are important. Beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees and beware of the doctrine of the Sadducees. Well, brother saying, I don't have to worry about that. I got my doctrine right. Well, I tell you what, the doctrine they were talking about back there was a lifestyle. It's not theological as much as it was a lifestyle. One of the doctrines they had is in chapter 15, if you back up here, and as the scribes and Pharisees. You see these scribes that were the ones translating the thing and, and uh, copying Isaiah and copying Jeremiah and giving you a new scroll? They were blind as bats. The learned men in that time was, were blind as bats. I'm using a terminology. And sometimes we can have all our head. You see, you did not, you know who had the scrolls? The Pharisees did. You know who had the translation and the Septuagint version eventually? These religious people had it. You think Peter was the one that had the scrolls? No, the Pharisees, they had the education, they had the doctors, they had the lawyers, they were the elite in that time. They felt everyone else was wrong, were wrong, and they were right. Sometimes I ask myself, are we the Pharisees of the 21st century? And here is a little example in chapter 15. As a matter of fact, we're in Matthew tonight, aren't we? Uh, let's back up to chapter 13. In chapter 13, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Why speakest thou, verse 10, to them in parables? Jesus said, uh, the disciples came and said, you give a parable of the soil that went out to sow, and some fell on wayside, some fell amongst, on stony ground, some fell among thorns, and some fell on good ground. Why are you talking to these people, Jesus, in parables, and when you get into a corner, then you interpret it? Because, I'll tell you why, because God's idea of spreading the gospel is not your idea and my idea of spreading the gospel. You see, we want to give everybody hog and dog the gospel because we are great but God is particular about who he gives the gospel to Jesus told his disciples don't cast your pearls in the wrong direction and he told the disciples when they asked him why speakest thou in them in parables and Jesus answered and said unto them because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven but to them it is not given. When you got a man off the street and try to give him the gospel, are you taking that which is holy and profaning it? You're a misfit. That is why James said, <clears throat> be not many teachers. Well, I want to teach the gospel. I know a lot. Listen, you have a lot of head knowledge, but if God has not called you to teach the gospel, you'll be a pervert in the pulpit. I'm not talking to preachers here tonight. I'm talking to us and preachers. All right. If a preacher by chance get a hold of this, listen to me carefully. I'm talking to us preachers and the saints that feel they know it all. I wish my church knew it all. And a lot of times 
We go out there and get contaminated in the world and we develop their spirit. And that is why when you come into church, you got the wrong spirit. I've been preaching this gospel for 54 years. I've been preaching for 54 years. I'm very sensitive to preaching the gospel. It's important that what I say represents God right. And we must examine ourselves. And Jesus says, it is not given to them to know. And he says to his disciples, he said in verse 16, he says, blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. And I'm telling everyone listening to this broadcast tonight and you listening in church here tonight, blessed are your eyes if they really see. But I see, maybe not. It's worse when you say you see and you don't see, then Jesus said your sin remaineth. Isn't that what he said? He says if you claim that you see and you don't really see, well, I see what it says. It says he sowed seed among the, th uh, among the thorns. Well, you're reading the literal thing, but you've got to have a perception that goes beyond the natural state. When you see, it's not seeing with your IQ. It's seeing with your heart and your soul that will save you. You see, the elect will die saved. And we must understand this. We must understand these areas. And so this is what Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. And so, well, Matthew 15, before we get back to 16. In Matthew chapter 15, uh, the Jesus, Pharisees again, they came. <clears throat> There's an element that's always critical of the word of God. Always feel they know it. But we're saying, what do you know? Which school did you graduate from? Which seminary or cemetery, seminary, right? Is it seminary or cemetery? Same thing. Um, which seminary did you graduate from? Well, I went to the same school Jesus went to. I went to the same school John the Baptist went to. And the school that Paul went to, God could not use him until God, this, God got the school out of him. And he says, the things that were gained to me, I counted loss. Yea, doubtless I count all things but dung that I might win Christ. Listen, we can't fabricate preachers and, and, and mass produce preachers. A man, in order to save individuals that listen to him, he must be called of God. Otherwise, he's got no business preaching the gospel. Unless he's saying that this has been taught unto us. That's what Paul told uh, told the church at Corinth. He says, he says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Let every man take heed how he build thereupon. It is important. God must take a man through a process before he can offer life to the individuals that hear him. And my years in the ministry does not make me superior to anyone because I could lead many to Christ and I myself be a castaway. And so when the scribes and Pharisees came, they says, why do your disciples transgress? They transgress the tradition of our forefathers. 
Our forefathers came up with an idea that if you don't wash your hands, you can't eat. And they did not even have COVID-19 in their time. Well, I did not need COVID-19 to know that you carry germs in your hand. But do you think they had sanitizers in the days of Jesus? But the Pharisees had a religious dogma. They were teaching doctrines and teachings, instruction to individuals. Their doctrines, the tradition of the Pharisees and their elders and their forefathers were creating more than the moral law God demanded. You got to wear your length a certain way. I'm not in for nudity and and immodest dressing, but they had to go a certain length, unless it was a certain length and a certain frill around the border. You're not accepted in, by, in, by, by God. And their religious formalities, a lot was contrary to the laws of God. And they came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said, Why do you transgress, verse 3, the commandments of God by your tradition?" And he went on further on here, and he says here, he says, um, this people, verse, um, uh, verse 8, he says, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouths. Now, don't point our finger back there. We examine ourselves. Are we the kind of people that when we come to church, we worship God with our mouth? And when we go out of the church, we are using our mouth for all kinds of vain things? Are we people that says we love God and we'll follow him? You know how many men told me, Brother Singh, a man, a man told me one time, he says, Brother Singh, he says, I will, I really appreciate you. I believe you're a man sent of God. Uh, you're here and I, I'm glad for every lesson. Every time I'm finished preaching, I have few people when I'm finished preaching that will come up and say, Pastor, that's a good message. I've been in Canada for 40 years. And when I'm finished preaching a good message that blesses my soul, few individuals have ever walked over to me and says, Brother Singh, thank you for that message. And that has made me who I am. I've taught individuals how to spell Jesus, and then they turn around and want to tell me how to spell Almighty God. And you're, you're amazed at the unlearned because they know a little they're trying to teach you. I had a teacher also. But Lloyd Goodwin was my teacher. Of course, I had all, a lot of teachers, but he was my main teacher, taught me a lot of things. When he's telling me something, I have great respect for the man when he was alive. <clears throat> Chandri would tell you, many hours we spent uh, with him when he would come we'll go into his room and sit down and we talk we sit at the dining table and talk and when he is telling me something I say I cut him off and I tell him something else do I ever do that I never do that I never cut him off when he starts to speak I be qu I'm quiet I respect for my teacher and I can never forget where I learned what I learned from there are men in my past before I met gospel assembly church that were important to me. They led me to the Lord. There was there are in the women that led me and taught me many things. I can never be ungrateful. I might have moved on. 
But I don't burn bridges behind me and condemn people that are in my past. They have added to my life and brought me to where I am today. And Jesus turned to them and he said, he says, uh, he says, this people draw nigh unto me with their mouths and honor at me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, in vain are they worshiping God. In vain are they going to church. In vain are they singing songs in church. In vain are they carrying on in church, portraying that they are godly. He says, in vain do they worship me simply because they're teaching doctrines which are commandments of men. They're trying to get their people built into such a way that is very cult-like. I believe in holiness. I believe a Christian should look like a Christian. I don't believe a Christian should tattoo their bodies all over. But what will I do if a man comes to the altar and he's all tattooed all over and he wants to accept Jesus? Telling him to go paint over? <clears throat> no. I'll have to give him the room. And God has to help me to swallow my saliva and accept the man because he has accepted Jesus in his life. We have individuals out here that are living an immoral life. We have all kinds of set going on outside. People that are ungodly, what do you expect them to do? They will live ungodly. My job is not to tell the ungodly people and point my finger and condemn LGBT and whatever else. God will condemn them. I'm condemning hypocrisy that exists in our midst. That's my job. My job, God sent me to preach to the individuals in the church and deal with the hypocrisy and the immaturity that's in the lives of God's people in church. That's what Jesus came to. He came to his own people, those who were transgressing God's law. That's why I preach the message I preach. And so in vain did they worship teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. And so here in chapter 16, and we finally got to the verse, and I've got 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 14 minutes left. I'm going to go right up to 8.30 tonight. And he says here, he, after we tell him beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees in verse 6, he said here in verse, um, in verse uh, 13, then came Jesus uh, to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, so you see, even in Philippi, they had individuals that were exposed. You see, Jesus had a ministry that we don't even know all the people, but there were Jews scattered all over the place that Jesus was reaching out to. And he asked his disciples this question. And I would like to ask sometime the disciples that are sitting here in church and those that are home listening to me, who do you think I am? That's a good question. Your concept, if God sent me into the city, a misconception of, as to who I am would cost you to your soul. If the Lord sent me into this city, a misconception in your heart as to who I am, if you think I'm just brother saying a skinny old Guyanese guy, I said skinny, oh, that's because I'm losing weight. Uh, this old guy and his man that's retarded from Guyana, you know, he's not smart. Guess what? If God sent me and you reject me, you have rejected God. 
Jesus told his disciples, he said, he had received at you, received at me, and he'd rejected you, rejected me. It's very simple. When Jesus says, whom do you think that I am? I'm going to ask you the same question. Whom do you think I am? And a lack of respect and honor to the men that God has raised up to be your pastors is not good for you. A lack of respect and honor to the men that God has raised up to lead you. If God has raised those men up, don't fight them. Don't challenge them. Amen. When they preach the word of God, they're there to save you. And Jesus says, whom do men say that I am? And they had all kinds of opinion. And some say you're, uh, they, he was, uh, some said he was John the Baptist. They were wrong. Some said he was Elias. They were wrong. Some said he was Jeremiah. They were wrong. And they, the public opinion is not what governs the church. So when you're you're, you're, you go to a secular job out there and you learn a few things, don't bring it into the church and hope the pastor is going to follow that advice. And my staff and the individuals in this church know that when I make a decision, I don't make it because I got nothing else to do. I make a decision because I feel it's the right decision. You know what? I've looked over the past 25 years and I've scarcely ever made a decision that was incorrect. As a matter of fact, I've never had to apologize for anything I preached. Never. 25 years. And every decision I make might look contrary, but it ended up to be a right decision. Because God was good to, and merciful to me that he touched my mind and helped me to make those decisions. And so it is important. And Peter, Jesus said to Peter, whom do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father. What I'm trying to drive tonight is that if you don't have an illumination of your mind as to who the preacher in the church is, who your pastor is, you might want to listen to somebody else's opinion. See, when I was growing up in Gospel Assembly Church, if I wanted to buy a car, I would ask Brother Goodwin what he thought about it. I want to buy a house. I don't just go and buy it and then say, hey, pastor, I got a house. Come and visit me. No, I'd ask his opinion. Because I had respect for him and his opinion. When you're allowed to make decisions contrary to what God wants, because you want to do that, God will judge every wrong decision that you make if you're his child. And that is why, back up to chapter 7, Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth to life. And we like to put this and say, well, we got the straight gate here, everybody else got the wide gate. And ask us to reassess our situation. Jesus said her in Matthew chapter 13, 7 verse 13, Enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many going there, right? there is a wide gate. You don't have to be so disciplined. Uh, there's a broad way. You don't have to worry about it. You do whatever you want. Live however you want. And you'll enter into the kingdom. They, 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 their, their interpretation of the kingdom. But Jesus said, Straight is the gate. S-T-R-A-I-T, confined, godly, holy, 
dedicated, a gate with discipleship. I'm not talking about what you put on or what you don't put on. I'm talking about how you live, how much you pray, what you watch on television. I'm talking about the kind of books you read, the company you keep, the kind of conversations you have with the ungodly. I'm talking about godly lifestyle. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few, 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 if the righteous scarcely be saved. You see, when we're thinking, oh Lord, I want to be in the first resurrection, you need to go back and read the 14th chapter of Revelation and find out what the qualifications are to the individuals that make up the staff that will govern with Christ for a thousand years in the coming kingdom and see if you're really striving for that. Singing your striving is not striving. You got to pray. You got to dedicate yourself. You got to detox yourself from what Babylon's got. You can preach against Babylon and go home and drink the booze that comes from Babylon. Come on. That's what it says. And so, uh, Jesus said, few there be. He says, but false prophets shall come in sheep's clothing. That does not ex include us, you know. Uh, we're not false prophets. We're only, only true prophets in town. Really? All right. I'm just preaching. I'm preaching to us. How about that? And then he goes on here in verse 21. He says, not everyone has said, Lord, Lord. A lot of people today and tonight and on Sunday will say, Lord, Lord. And everybody feels everybody is right. But when the pandemic came in, knock everybody's mouth shut. The heathen got shut. The atheist got shut. The businessmen got shut. The sports people got shut. The politicians got shut up. Everybody got shut up and the church got shut up too. But God expects the church to seek after him. He expects the church to repent. He expects you and I to seek after him. We need to change our lives. Society that we live in is dependent on our commitment to God. If there were ten righteous in Sodom, God would have spared the city. But there were not even ten righteous. Isn't it strange that we know so much of God? Listen to me. Isn't it strange that we know so much of God, yet nobody knew the virus was coming? I read something today that I'll have to go back and read it over. Statement made. And maybe I'll read it over and find out if it's authentic because it could be, you know, conspiracy theory. Somebody make up something. Somebody says somebody said and somebody did not really say that. I want to find out. You have to prove all things. But there were individuals that actually highlighted that a virus would hit North America. Won't it be wonderful if we had a prophet today that would say, listen, saints of God, we need to repent six months in advance. In six months, there is a virus coming that will affect us, and unless we repent, it's going to come. 
See, Jonah, when he went into Nineveh, he gave them a number of days. He says, if you don't repent in that days, in those days, God will wipe out this nation. They repented. Wouldn't that be nice if somebody told us before so we can repent? And brother saying, you preached a lot about judgment. Yes, but it did not change the lives. Didn't change your life, didn't change my life. We've just preached what Isaiah said. But we needed to change to avoid the judgment. Not preach about, wouldn't that be something if I know a tidal wave is coming and I'm telling you a tidal wave is coming. Tidal wave, hello, tidal wave is coming. When, I'm, when am I going to change when it jungs our house? See, preaching about repentance and repenting is two different things. That is why a teacher has a great responsibility. Amen. Not everyone to say, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Back up, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that makes a difference by doing what God wants. You see what we are doing today? We're performing. We come on in on the weekend and we perform our religious activity. But few people have dedicated their lives to change. And when you have a facade called conversion, and it's just a facade of veneer, and it's not real, you'd backslide when pressure comes on. See, Jesus said so. Unless you have roots, and you're rooted and grounded, the storms of persecution will beat against your ship, and it will sink. And that is what is happening after this pandemic is over. Every half-converted Christian, their ship will sink or they will be fully converted. I don't know what to expect when it's over. It's good to hear somebody tell me that they made changes. I've got three minutes left, according to my... All right, let's finish this up. Then Jesus said, many shall come to me in that day. Well, he that doeth the will of the Father. Isn't that what he says? Many shall come to me in that day. Many, many, many shall come to me in that day. Say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. And the Lord will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. It is sad that Israel worked iniquity many a times. And it would be sad that if we in Gospel Assembly Church are not pleasing God and doing that which is right, it is called iniquity. We need to examine ourselves before we are too busy examining everybody, examining everyone else. He went on to say, Therefore, whosoever hear these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. That rock is Jesus. And that is why I'm telling you tonight. And what I'm about, uh, there's so much more in Matthew I'd like to say, but time is gone on me. But what I want to tell you is that this is not the end of it. If we don't repent and turn to God, it will become worse. The church, repentant, saves the city. We're not here just to point our finger, point it inward. 
And one of the worst sins, worse than sodomy, is when you reject a man of God. Jesus said, when you go into city and a city rejects you or the church rejects you and despise you, it will be worse for that city or that church or whoever it is than it was for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in their judgment. Worse than the sin of sodomy is rejection of a true man of God. Let us pray. Father, tonight we thank you for this time you have given us that we can spend some time looking at your word. May the message tonight not pass over our heads, Father, but reach on into our hearts and ignite a change in our lives. May it start a fire that would burn brightly in our zeal and effort to serve thee and serve thee right. Help us, O God. Help your people, O God. Help us ministers, O God, we ask that you'll please look upon us and have mercy on us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. We ask your blessing on this weekend, Father, that you would help us through it all. In Jesus' wonderful name we ask it. Amen and amen. Glad to have you and thank you for listening.